your heart is full of love and um, pride in your first child and uh, that I know that that's really special too. Uh, for those of us who may not be mothers, it's our job to honor you for all of the special love, caring, kindness, and work that you do on our behalf so selflessly as mothers. Uh, as we uh, get together this Sunday morning, I want to uh, reach out to you for those of you who may not have any family close. I want you to, instead of just looking at the, the screen and you may see my face, click on, on the top right hand corner and click gallery view and look at all of those people who may not be physically with you, but are spiritually with you. We're all here together. We are all here as one body in Christ. We've reiterated it many times over the course of these five weeks with these Zooms. The church is not that building sitting at Northwest 23rd and Geraldine. The church is all of these people in this meeting right now. Take strength, even if you're sitting by yourself, take strength from being one of those people who is a part of this meeting right here. You are part of the church. We are all part of the church and God loves us and blesses us for it. Now let's uh, get ready for our opening prayer. Let's pray guys. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning at our homes, um, still as a family spiritually, we, um, we ask that you heal the world, Lord, from this pandemic, but also give us a stronger faith to keep, keep uh, remembering your, your name and your, your power that you have to change stuff. Um, Lord, we tell you, we tell you this morning that we haven't forgot about you, just like you haven't forgot about us. Padre, te venimos esta mañana que nos cuides y nos protejas de esta pandemia, Señor, que sabemos que ha cambiado el mundo y no entendemos, pero poquito a poquito te seguimos teniendo esa fe, Señor, que, que tú nos diste, que tú nos das el amor siempre, que nunca nos falta nada, Señor que podamos seguir en Cristo como una iglesia de Northwest para seguir adelante y seguir triunfando y seguir llegando y a nuestras metas, Señor. Te pedimos esto en el nombre de tu Hijo Cristo Jesús. Amén. I'll be reading Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother.
Okay, as we prepare now to take our communion, this week I was thinking that I'm really ready for this to be over, as I'm sure most of you are too. Um, and I started looking at several scriptures that God was trying to tell us to be patient and to understand that things occur according to his will, not necessarily ours. And one of the passages that I looked and really enjoyed seeing was thinking back when he instituted the first Lord's Supper. And he told the apostles and those that were gathered there in the upper room that this would be the last meal that he would share with them until his kingdom would come into being. I also thought about the time that occurred after that, that Christ was taken and was crucified and then came forth and reappeared to so many for the next 40 days. And I think about this time period that we've gone through just recently where everything has been so anxious and so we're waiting and we follow the tracking and we see the numbers and, and all of it's led to a lot of anxiety on all of our parts. And I had to think about what it must've been like for the apostles um, during that 40 days, especially whenever they were waiting for Christ to make his next appearance. Um, and also for just the anxiety of not knowing when or if he would make another appearance. Because you remember at that time, he didn't know, or they didn't know what the end would look like. They didn't know after each occurrence if this was the final time they would see Christ, at least in this earthly setting. And obviously it was made final whenever he was lifted up into heaven. But up until that time, lots of anxiety. And yet the interesting part was Christ told them to stay put, to remain in Jerusalem until the helper would come to lead them as to what they would do in their, their next part of their ministry. And it's also interesting that that waiting period after Christ's ascension and, and until the day of Pentecost was approximately 10 days, must have been the 10 longest days ever as they were sitting there waiting, wondering when this was going to occur. So as we think about all of those things, the one thing I, I came away with as I was looking through these passages and thinking and praying about the message for this morning was that during that period of time after his crucifixion and before the day of Pentecost, 50 long days of waiting, and yet God was in control just as he is today. And I hope that's the message that you carry away from our meeting and our message this morning, that it's not up to us. God is still in control. Would you pray with me now? Father God, as we partake of this bread that represents Christ's broken body, we do so, Father, to commemorate the meal that he instituted there with his apostles. But Father, it's also done weekly to demonstrate our belief and our yielding to your will. It also demonstrates, Father, our faith in him and the promise that he made to us. Father, we are blessed by that promise. We remember him and we remember that promise each week as we commune now. 
bless us as a family as we gather in different locations, but together in spirit. This Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now pray with me again for the fruit of the vine. Father, we now partake of this fruit of the vine that represents Christ's shed blood for us. Father, his look of love as he looked down upon us from the cross is so emblematic of the love that he felt for us, much like the day we celebrate today of Mother's Day. A love that could only come from a mother to her child, or in his case, to us as his children. Father, we pray that you would help us to recognize that love that you have for us, as it was reflected through Christ in his sacrifice for us. Help us to understand not only the breadth and the width and the depth of that love, but also, Father, that it touches us each day. We pray now as we partake of this cup, we pray that you would bless it and that you would bless us in your service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are again, one week later, and still uh, together and apart. And, and I come to uh, each week, um, kind of grieve the loss of our time being physically together, but also just celebrating kind of the words that people give, the reminders that, that the body is more than the building and that together um, we're family even in apart. And one of the things that I really enjoyed this last week from, from a Northwest member was, and some of you have already seen this, but I want to share it with you this, this morning, uh, was Jesse McGee's comments uh, on her love letter to the moms of Northwest. And, and I just want to read this to you. And so these are Jesse's words, uh, but they're so well written. Um, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I found as I read it, I thought it keeps getting better. And when a document keeps getting better, it doesn't actually matter that it's kind of long. And so here it is. Uh, for our, the Northwest mom. Today I write to my Northwest family, specifically the Northwest mom. See, the Northwest mom isn't like most moms. They're cool, hip with the times. Uh, the Northwest mom is multi-talented with many facets attached. They're bold and brave. They're strong and intelligent. They know when to tell you no, and they love when they can tell you yes. They're ready to give a hug when it's needed or advice 
even when we didn't ask for it. They're leaders in Christ and lovers of the truth. Most of all, no Northwest mom is the same. Their gifts are forever molding to one's needs and the examples they set are powerful and unbreakable. When your child falls and skins their knee, it's not just you there to pick them up and comfort them. When your child makes a poor choice, it's not just you there to teach them. I guess what I'm saying is Northwest moms aren't just mothers to their own children. They're mothers to the church, to the people. They took an oath, made a pact with God. They found their callings and their fruits to bear. They made sacrifices and statements. They fought through long days and sleepless nights. They put in the sweat and tears. They put in the work. They never stop. There's no stopping, no break. A mother, for all intents and purposes, never stops being a mother. Because the Northwest mom is not just a mother to one or two, they're a mother to all. They fight urges to scream out, why? They fight the want to just break down at times. Some days they're losing battles. Their armor falls always, and they are left in the mud of frustration, sadness, anger, and fatigue. They cry to God, to their husbands, and even to their own mothers. They wonder where they went wrong. They wonder why it's so hard. But that's when the beauty of a mother comes in. Because when the armor falls away, the vulnerability is bare and real. They learn, they dust off their knees, and they begin another day. That's real strength. That's power. That's commitment that no one but a mother can understand. On those days when a Northwest mom or any mom feels they're in the cold, damp valleys, they're truly on the top of someone else's hill. Because we see you. I see you. Your beauty and perseverance is breathtaking. It's inspiring. Don't worry. When you put that armor back on, it fits a little bit snugger. It'll feel more comfortable. A mother's armor is special like that because every time it falls away, it only becomes better when they put it back on. Just this past year, I was able to become a mother myself. Again, Jesse's words, not mine. I was inducted into the club. Something you learn is, at this club, you earn your stripes. Not by being a good mom or a savvy mom or the mom who always has it together. No, Northwest moms aren't buying that act. You earn those stripes through your examples and your representation of Christ. Show me a mom who never yells at her child and I'll show you a purple elephant. Show me a mom who never cried because they couldn't get their baby to just sleep and I'll show you a flying pig. Show me a mom who never threatened to count to three but only ever makes it to two and a half and I'll show you a dancing rat. Let me see the mom who burned dinner because she was too busy helping her daughter finish a coloring page. Show me the mom who hasn't cleaned the house in a week because they're giving all their time to their kid who just wants to play. Show me a mom who knows the, all the lyrics to Disney sing-alongs. Show me a mom who dances with their kids because, you know, why not? Show me a mom who cries not out of sadness but joy when they watch their son walk across a graduation stage. Show me a mom who rejoices when their child says, Mom, I love Jesus. That's a Northwest mom. As we sit here, not being able to hug or kiss or shake hands, we can see. I see you. I see the struggles and the victories. I see the pain and the joy. I want you to know I love you. I love everything about you. I pray for you. I think of you. And someday... I want to be the example that you are.
Thank you, Northwest Moms, for everything. I read this letter and, and just loved so much about it. And I wanted to share it with you, even if you've already read it. Um, it had the feel of uh, the beauty of the longest Hallmark card I've ever read, but the truth of something that was far greater. And I also love Stacy Fowler's comment on the post about how blessed we are at Northwest to have women who may not even have their own children, uh, but who are mothers for our church family. We're constantly blessed by them. And it really captures how beautiful and difficult it can be to be a mom. Being mom's not, uh, not always easy. It's not always straightforward. Uh, it's true today, and it's been true in different ways for every generation. Uh, I love when, when moms sit around and, and younger moms and older moms try and figure out who had it harder, uh, moms today or moms back in the day. Um, and, and I think that moms that maybe think they had it easier uh, are blinded by the nostalgia and amnesia that God blesses parents with uh, to forget the tough times of the twos and the threes and the fours and the fives. And I've been told the teenage years are really memorable and, and so all the things that many of us have to look forward to and other of us uh, have so blissfully forgotten uh, are there. And so being a mom has all of this kind of complex stuff that comes with it. And one of the things that's fun for me in the Gospels is that we get to look at Jesus and we get to look at his relationship with his mom, Mary, and we get to see that this was true for her. It was true for Mary that she got to experience the complexities of being a mom, even when her son was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I mean, you think about just a week after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple, and Simeon was there, a man who had been waiting his entire life to see the promised Messiah. And Simeon, when the Holy Spirit came on and proclaimed over this baby boy who was eight days old, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a thing to tell a new mother, a mother of a child who's only a week old, that something about this child will pierce your own soul. Mary heard those words. Uh, later, Jesus, as a preteen boy of 12, would be in the temple, sitting at the feet of teachers and rabbis. And, and here, as he learns and, is, and he, as he shares with them his knowledge and his wisdom and his insight, they're just overwhelmed with it. But Mary and Joseph leave with their family and their friends to go back home, while Jesus stays behind to continue learning and talking and studying. And we often think about what it would have been like uh, in the times that, that Mary and Joseph were traveling, and, and they didn't realize that they were gone, and in the days that it took him to reconnect with him, Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, is on his own in Jerusalem and in the temple and finding places to stay and things to eat and the conversations he must have been having to people. And, and when his parents found him, they, they said, how could you do this? Where have you been? We've been so worried or something like that. Jesus says, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? How do you even process that? As a mom, how do you think about that as a mom of a 12-year-old boy to see him uh, interacting with, with the rabbis and the teachers and other people in this way, but to be wondering how you could be apart from him for so long and, and all of that anxiety. Later at a wedding feast in Cana, 
Before Jesus was ready to even begin his official public ministry, his mother goes to him and says, listen, Jesus, they're about to run out of wine. Can you do something about this to save this family, these hosts, from the shame that will accompany them if they uh, run out, if they're not able to be a good host and hostess to the wedding party? Jesus tells her, he says, I I'm not ready. It's not my time yet. And Mary just turns to the servants and says, you do what he says, because she knows that her son is going to be obedient and honor her request, that he'll be compassionate on the host and hostess, but also listen to his mom. And so even as this grown man, he, he has this respect for her and her request and her heart, and he honors that. He changes his plans to accommodate his mother's desire. At the cross, Jesus lovingly looks down and caringly sees his mother and clearly is in agony that he won't be able to continue to be there for her and provide for her. And he looks at John, the beloved disciple, and he says to her, I want you to take care of this woman as if she was your own mom for the rest of her and your lives. And he looks to, to him, he says, you take care of her. And he looks at her and he, she, and he tells her, you can depend on him. Even in this moment where, where he's giving the ultimate sacrifice, he's very in tune with Mary's needs, providing for her and caring for her. They had a, a special, but as any mom and child, complex relationship. Which brings us to the passage that, that Carter read earlier this morning, the passage where uh, Mary and Jesus's brothers come to a house where Jesus is teaching. And, and as they arrive, uh, they tell the crowd, uh, we're his mother and brother, send to him, tell him that we're here and that we want to see him. And the text in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46, says this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he then says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What an unusual thing for Jesus to say. That when his own mom and his own family is out there and they say, we're here to see him, that he doesn't say, I'll go to them immediately and talk to them and catch up and find out what they want and talk to them about what I've got going on in my life as a son is often to do when his mother comes to visit. But Jesus doesn't. He takes us an opportunity to instead shift the conversation to talking about the familial, family-like relationship that he has with the disciples who have been following him. He says to those who have been following him, his disciples and his apostles, these are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my family. These are my people. You see, the crowd expected Jesus to stop attending to them and go immediately attend to his family. This would have been uh, the anticipation in the ancient world. The family is the absolute core. Your family is uh, your biggest social obligation, your familial obligation. You have to look after your parents and your siblings more than you have any responsibility to anyone else. And so for Jesus to be told that his, his family was outside the door and for him to then say, I'll tell you who my family is. My family is anyone who does the will of my father. 
It's an unbelievable, it's a nearly scandalous thing for Jesus. And I don't think that we need to put in the words in his mouth of speaking down to Mary. I don't think that what he's saying is, Mary's not my mom, uh, Peter is. He's the one who does the will of the Father. Peter's my mom, not Mary. That would be an absurdity in, in many ways. But I think that what we can see is that what Jesus is saying is that those who do the will of my Father are my people. They're my family. More so than the, the blood runs for Jesus, uh, more than he can be bound by family, by blood, by kin, he's bound by obedience to God. And he communicates that what he cares the most about is not what his what last name he shares or what origin story he shares or the connections that he has to others. What he cares the most about is whether or not his disciples follow God's will. The language of that text is very brief, but it reminds me of the much more developed passages in John 14 and 15, where Jesus is really explaining to his disciples what it means to be someone who follows and lives into the will of God what it means to be the kind of people who become family to Jesus because of their obedience to what God desires for them. And so in John chapter 14, and this is that larger text at the, towards the end of John's gospel, where Jesus has a time of giving final teachings to the apostles and final prayers and blessings over them. And he's revealing to them the core and the heart of his ministry and the gospel and everything they need before he goes to the cross. And in the midst of this, he's, he pleads with them over and over again to be obedient, to keep commands, and, and connects the keeping of the commands that God gives them and that Jesus has given them to loving people, to loving God, to remaining in his love, to remaining in God's love, to remaining in all of this community that is this family. Jesus says, if you obey the will of my Father, you're my family. And in John 14, he's developing this more, but, but I want you to listen for this, and he's moving towards the promised gift of the coming Holy Spirit. He's, he's leading up to this, this explanation of why it's good that he's going to go away from the apostles so the Holy Spirit can come. And what you're going to see in this text, and, and a little bit in John 14 and again in John 15, what you're going to see is this overwhelming connection between love, obedience, family, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus keeps echoing these four things over and over again. So in John 14, starting in verse 15, it says this, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. For long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone loves me who will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Skipping down a little bit to the next chapter, John 15 and verse 9, Jesus continues in this teaching, again, repeatedly connecting obedience, love, family, and spirit. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Over and over again in these texts, Jesus continues to say, if you love me, you will obey my teachings. Here's my command that you love each other. If you obey my teachings, I will love you. Love each other as I command. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you keep my Father's commands, you will remain in my love. He keeps hitting these same ideas over and over again. Obedience. Love. The Holy Spirit will come and guide you in all of this and will be in you so that that God will be in you and you will be in Christ and that there's this incredible community and you go back again to Jesus saying to the crowd, your mother and your brothers are here to see you. And he says, my mother and brothers, my family are the people that do the will of my father. They're the people that are obedient. They're the people who show love. They're the people who love one another as only a mother and brothers and sisters and family can. The father has created the family to be this way. Jesus is creating in his teaching, this idea that the church will come together, not as a collection of people, not as a trade union, not as a social club, not as a people that that all have the same views on something. They will come together as the family of Jesus. They're going to do so when the Spirit comes into them, and they come into God, and God will remain in him, and we will remain in Christ. Jesus knew even then that his death on the cross and his resurrection would open the door for the spirit to come and change how people thought about their family. That all of this is the culmination of all this obedience to prove love and obedience that leads to love and obedience that allows us to remain in Christ's love, that we become his brothers and mother, his family. We love him. He loves us. We obey him. 
And it all comes back together over and over again, wrapping uh, these truths around one another, embracing us and tying us together in incredible family-like unity. So who are the greatest mothers that are among us at Northwest as in our church family? It's those women who love Jesus by obeying him and by loving others and loving our church. And as Jesse wrote in her letter that we kind of started with uh, this morning, that we've got a lot of great moms at Northwest. We've got a lot of women, some who are moms and some who aren't, who are mothers to our church family. Who are the great brothers in our church family? It's those men who remain in Jesus by obeying him and following his command that we love one another. And it's all done by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that Jesus sent us when he went to be with the Father. In the next several sermons, uh, we're going to move back into the Holy Spirit uh, series that we started uh, kind of in January and February this year. Uh, And we're going to get back into looking at what the Spirit is doing in us and through us, what the Spirit is doing among us. And we're going to start pulling back some of those uh, things that we've been studying and talking about and praying about. We're going to move back into that um, for this season. And we'll have to do a little bit of review uh, as we do that. It's been something like 70 days since that series took a little bit of a break for our March for Missions and uh, for the interruption that the pandemic has caused. Uh, But we're going to go back into talking about who the Holy Spirit is, what difference the Spirit makes in our lives, what difference the Spirit makes in our church family and in our families in our homes. Today on Mother's Day, we got back into this study by seeing the incredible connection that Jesus understood during his ministry that there would always be between love, obedience, true Christian family, and the Holy Spirit. We certainly are blessed at Northwest to have a family full of mothers and women who are loving, obedient to Christ, and filled with the Spirit. And so thanks to all of our Northwest moms, uh, to all of those men and women who are examples of what it looks like to be living the kind of life that the family of Jesus has always been characterized by. Uh, We're blessed to be a family. This time we're going to have uh, a closing uh, song. And then we'll have a prayer from one of our shepherds. As I mentioned uh, last week, if you have any need or need to respond to the message or respond to the gospel, if you want to set up a personal or private Bible study, um, we can do that remotely. We can find a place that we can meet together safely. Uh, If you need something this week, please reach out to me or one of our shepherds and let us know what it is that we can do to bless you and to help you grow closer to Jesus Christ and the family that belongs to him through obedience, love, and the Spirit. Holy Spirit, dwell in me, touch my eyes and I might see all your goodness, grace and power. Stay beside me every hour, be my dream, be my living bread, keep me sheltered, keep me fed. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, dwell in me. Spirit, cover me, let my heart 
have some prayer requests to read before we go to the Father on behalf of these. Uh, Bridget Jack says, my friend Rachel is having her baby, Charlie, five weeks premature by C-section this Monday because her water broke two weeks ago. He weighs in at last check a little over four pounds. Brandy asks for prayers that she gets a job at Goodwill. <clears throat> Jimmy Keys asks for prayers for Pat Schoonover who has been struggling with fever and aching. And this morning we do have an update on that. Uh, this morning, Pat is in the ER at Mercy Hospital with what they're hoping is just a UTI. So we definitely wanna keep the schoonovers in our prayers. Jesse McGee asks for prayers for her grandmother whose bladder cancer has returned. And Michelle Gaddy asks prayers for her friend Jack Wheat and his family. Jack passed away Friday evening. He was 91. He caught COVID-19 at his nursing home. He lived in Farmington, New Mexico. Polly George asks that we pray for Colleen Deloche. She lost her mom to Alzheimer's this past Friday. And Aaron Day has a prayer of thanksgiving for the new job that he will be starting tomorrow. We wanna keep these and others in our prayers. And I want to say that from our survey that was sent out last week, and there was a part in that that asked for any prayers that anyone, any family had, and the response was quite overwhelming, showing that this is a very prayerful congregation. Northwest believes in the power of prayer, and you, the body, did not hesitate to let your requests and your thanksgivings be known, and, and we were very excited about that response. The elders has that list of individual prayer requests from each family that responded. We've been praying over that and we want to keep you all in our prayers. So thank you for your responses to that. Thank you for having the faith that all of you have that God will answer our prayers. With that in mind, let's go to him together at this time. Lord, we thank you so much for continuing to hear us, to watch over us and to protect us. We know that even though we are not gathered together physically as a body, we are gathered together spiritually. And we know that because of that, you hear our petition to you and you are hearing this prayer now. God, we pray for Rachel who is going to be having a C-section tomorrow to take the baby early and we pray that that will all go well and the, that the child will be healthy, that there would be no adverse effects to her or the mother. And this would all go well. Lord, we pray for Brandy who is trying to get a job and, and we ask that that be granted to her so that she may work. And we are also thankful for Aaron Day that you have blessed him with employment that starts tomorrow. Thank you for those things, Father. And we pray a special prayer for Pat Schoonover at this time who has been experiencing several physical difficulties and is doing so right now this morning. We ask, Lord, that that would turn out to be nothing serious, that that could be treated and he could be sent home today. Dear God, be with him and with Gail through this time. 
Lord be with Jesse's grandmother, who is suffering from cancer. We ask that whatever can be done in that situation be done to comfort her, to give her health, to take that disease from her body. Lord, for the family of Jack Wheat, who passed away just this past week, we ask your spirit and your blessings on them. And although he was advanced in years, we know, Lord, that this family will be grieving his loss. And, and those friends who loved him will miss him. We ask that you would comfort them as well. Dear Lord, for Colleen Deloche, who lost her mom just this past week as well, be with her. Be with that family and, and comfort them as well. Let them know that, that you do love them, that you do feel their anguish, and that you do care about them. Dear God, for all those who responded and had concerns and requests and, and thanksgiving that, that responded last week, we, we bring those to you. You know each one individually, Lord, and we, we now lay those, those requests, those concerns, those prayers of thanks at your feet. We know you hear us. We know you love us. We know you care about us. Thank you, God, for blessing this body with all the mothers, the grandmothers, and even the great-grandmothers who are part of Northwest. Lord, for those women who are mothers either by blood, through adoption, or even who have been made so honorarily just to be called our mother, our grandmother, because they have a heart big enough to say these are all my children, and I care about them all. Thank you for them, God. Thank you for bringing them into our lives and blessing Northwest with them. We pray for them. We pray for their families. We pray for this body who believes in you and who thanks you for your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray these things. Amen.